Good morning. Isn't it great that we're all different in the kingdom of God? I'm not like Jesus, but I love him. I'm not like Jeremy or Laura. Wasn't it great to hear their story? I love them. You know, the kingdom of God and the church of God is just made up of so many different people. And um, he loves us all the same. Every one of you is valuable in his sight. It's a wonderful truth. I was reading, um, this is not my sermon, but I was reading about Gideon uh, recently. And it says that um, uh, the angel of the Lord came to him and sat under the terebinth tree while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So he's ducking and diving Gideon in fear, trying to hide the wheat from this tribe that was oppressing the Israelites at that time. And the angel of the Lord said to him, appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And I'm thinking, he's nothing like a mighty man of valor. He's hiding away. And there's a great lesson there because God doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves. He sees us how we are eventually going to become and what the identity, our identity is on us, what our calling is on us. And if you read the story of Gideon, you'll see he became a mighty man of valor. But there were numerous steps for him to get there. And I want to say to you, you might feel that you're not a Jeeves. You're not a Laura and a Jeremy. Or Mark Hewitt. Or Ian Lettington. You're not meant to be. You're meant to be you. It's the church, the body of Christ. The whole that makes up the whole that brings the blessing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to be all over this sermon. I just yield it to you now, Lord. Open our hearts and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Which, which one of these buttons do you press? I've been up here so long and I still don't know which. Okay. It should be that one. Oh, good. Right. Um, overcoming temptation. So uh, we've been working our way through um, the book of Corinthians, chap- and chapter 10 has a bit to say about, um, about temptation, so that's where we're at, and this talk is about overcoming temptation. And um, I just want to say that uh, back in February, uh, I went to... Um, to a seminar on um, uh, addressing pornography addiction. And so some of the bones of my talk is from that, from that seminar. I want to give credit to the man that gave it. I thought he was outstanding, a man called Ian Henderson from the Naked Truth Project. If you want to look that up, it was, it's absolutely outstanding. But just giving him credit from the outset. So let's, um, let's, let's read from 1 Corinthians. But with most of them, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. 
Just pause there for a moment. You know, the scriptures is all about that. It's to give us a, a, a model, a blueprint for life. And if we follow God's ways, and there's plenty of stuff in there that people do, and what the scriptures say, don't do it this way. Do it this way instead. This is exactly what Paul is saying here to, to the Corinthian church by referring to what was happening to the children of Israel in the wilderness. Do not become idolaters as some of them did, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Temptation comes in many forms. I was at a mental health conference in Eastbourne yesterday with some friends from church. And uh, you know what it's like at these conferences? They have lovely plates of biscuits. Really nice biscuits. And... uh, I'd made up my mind I was not going to partake of these biscuits. (laughs) And I was feeling quite proud of myself that I'd passed them by. And out came a plate of fresh bread pudding. And I, (laughs) I never even thought about it. I was just in there indulging and loving it. And after the second slice, I felt... I felt really bad about myself. <laughs> a lot, the Bible has a lot to say about sin and temptation. And as we've just said, the, the Apostle Paul is highlighting some particular destructive acts and um, things that the children of Israel did that actually was, was very damaging to them as a community. And many of them died. They were consistently complaining against God about anything and everything. They worshipped a golden calf. We heard recently Adam talk about the golden calf. Just suddenly said, Moses is away, let's make a golden calf. Idolatry worship. They indulged in sexual immorality. God provided them with manna every day. And they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So God sent snakes. And we heard about that recently, didn't we, from Dale, with the snake that's been raised up so that all those who were bitten got healed. I want to talk today about Overcoming temptation. And if I may, particularly about the temptation of habitual sin. 
which can lead to addiction and the loss of all that you hold dear. Although the talk applies to any form of temptation. James puts it like this. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Let's just sort a few facts out. The fact is that all of us get tempted. Every single one of us. And note that we're not in a position where we can blame God for temptation. Or indeed anybody else. You and I are wholly responsible for our own actions. You for your actions, me for my actions. So it's not a sin. Temptation itself is not a sin. So if you're getting thoughts coveting your neighbor's car or wife or anything else or whatever temptation you've got, bread pudding, The thought itself is not a sin. James is clear. It's when each one is tempted away, he's drawn by his own desires and enticed. And when that desire has conceived, you engage with it, play with it in your mind. You don't deal with it. You go along with it. And and we all know in our own lives when we've done that and how that makes you feel. And sin leads to guilt and shame which are heavy taskmasters and if left undealt with ultimately death. Everything that falls short of the glory of God is sin and we worship a holy God. But this is the deal. When Christ died upon the cross, he broke the power of sin over our lives. If you're a Christian, you committed your life to God, the power of sin has been broken over your life. You and I no longer have to sin anymore. Temptations will come. And as he talks in Corinthians, he always gives a way out. But I've learned that you have to deal with this and face it head on. Moreover, Christ has taken the punishment for sin. We were singing that. My debt is paid. It's been paid in full. The curse of sin has been laid on him. 
That is the truth. The power of sin has been broken over your life and over my life. It's a wonderful, wonderful good news about becoming a Christian. Just wonder why everyone else just can't get it, really. But that's the truth of it. But some of us still live as though we're under the power of sin. And how's that working out for you? What do you struggle with? Pornography? 50% of people have an issue with pornography in the country, of men. 50%. It seems high to me, but the statistic says 33% of women do. I'm blown away by that. Might not be that. Might be alcohol, drugs, gambling, food, food, Facebook. You've got an addiction to Facebook. How about computer games? We're going to look at a particular story from the Old Testament where we see the power of temptation at work. Isaac and Rebekah couldn't have children. You know Isaac, he's Abraham's son. He got married to Rebekah. They prayed. Rebekah conceived. And she gave birth to twins. Let's pick up the story here in Genesis 25. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright to me. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Do you know, I love the Bible. I think it's my most treasured possession. If there was a, a fire in the house, my Bible is what I would want to pick up and take out with me. With my beloved, of course. So. <laughs> I just, just cleared that for the, for the message. <laughs> I often hear people say that it is of no relevance, that we're a more sophisticated society, more advanced. What can the Bible teach us? 
There is so much, even in this story, written thousands of years ago, that is so relevant to us and family life today. You see the huge mistakes that Isaac and Rebecca are making, preferring one of their children over the other. Huge, huge mistake. It's there for us to learn from, but that's not my sermon. Anyway, um, but it teaches us about family life, the nature of mankind, sin, death. And here we are. Esau and Jacob have grown up, and they couldn't be more different to each other. Have you noticed that about your children? How different they are. And Esau is a real man's man. He goes out hunting game. And Jacob is more sophisticated. The Bible describes him as a mild man who likes dwelling in tents. Can't quite get my head around about that, but the inference is, is that he'd like Ashburnham. The, the, the inference is he is a solid man. He's stable. He likes being at home. Esau's been out um, hunting. By the way, in those days, um, the birthright went to the firstborn son, which was Esau. You could sell your birthright, but there were special privileges attached to, to, to the birthright, where you got two-thirds of the inheritance of your father's possessions, you got spiritual blessings of being the number one son. It was a very significant matter in family life in those days. It meant headship of the family, a double share of the family blessing. Transfer from the father to the eldest son of the family's material property, its aspirations and spiritual promises. That's a big issue, the spiritual promises. This clearly played on Jacob's mind and troubled him. Up to now, he was not top dog. His brother was. And he wanted to be. Maybe even his mum said things to him like, you should get your father's blessing, not Esau. You deserve it more than your brother. Whatever, when the opportunity arose, Jacob saw his chance. Esau's been out in the field hunting, and he comes in absolutely starving. Maybe he hasn't hasn't eaten for hours. He's been running around the countryside, stalking animals so that he could kill one and bring it home to his father, for his father's pleasure. He can't think about anything else except eating. I've got to say, I've been in that position a few times. And it just dominates the whole of your mind. Nothing else matters to him at that point in time. I've got to have some stew, says Esau. So Jacob, seeing his opportunity, says, first sell me your birthright. He's been planning this, not knowing when that might chance might arise but he takes his chance 
And notice Esau's response. I am about to die. What use is my birthright to me? Give it to me. Jacob, keen to press home the transaction, says, no, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright. And the Bible's clear that Esau ate a lump lump of bread and some stew and in consequence sold his birthright to Jacob. And if you want to read in chapter 27, you'll read about the grief, the pain and the grief that he suffered as a consequence of losing that birthright. Even though he sought it with tears. We all have different reasons why we might give in to temptation. And what I didn't do very well yesterday I failed completely. I've even sort of made a deal with myself that I'm, I'm not eating any more biscuits or bread pudding. And we have a 30th birthday party in our house today. And Rachel's made a beautiful chocolate cake. So I'm just postponing that till, <laughs> till Monday. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how the brain works? So which w- <laughs> Just say to you seriously, don't be under any ha- misapprehension. Satan knows our weaknesses. He will find every which way he can to get us to temptation and to fall so that he can accuse us. He doesn't play fair. But this is the truth. God has broken the power of sin over our lives. And if we do sin, we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness immediately. There are two main facets. I realized when I thought about this, I thought Ian Henderson put it really well. When I have dealt with significant sin, habitual sin in my life, I realize this is exactly what I did, but he labeled it. And there's two, two facets that we need to understand if, we're over, if we are to overcome temptation. The first is, we need to understand and reflect on when I am vulnerable to succumbing to the temptation. And secondly, I need to understand and reflect on what is valuable to me. Let's just have a look at those. The first one, understand and reflect on when you are are vulnerable, which means know what your trigger points are. When are you more likely to sin? What are the events that are going to take place that are likely to lead me into sin so that I can recognize them coming before they actually come to me. I've listed some down here. Feeling lonely. Feeling rejected or abandoned. Depressed. Alone. Peer pressure. 
heightened pleasure, pleasure, if I have lost control of my emotions through, for example, too much alcohol, low self-esteem, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to make it. Everyone else is better. Or poor personal identity. God doesn't love me. He can't use me. Notice these are all lies. But the point is, when we have negative emotions, we're vulnerable. Very vulnerable to temptation. Because you want a quick fix that's going to make you feel better and relieve you, even if it's only temporarily, of those low feelings. can lead to all sorts of things. Looking at pornographic websites. Maybe getting a drink, an alcoholic drink. Drugs, computer games, food, whatever. Anything that takes you away from your first love in Jesus. That's the key. You know, eating food's not an issue in itself. Having a glass of wine's not an issue. I would suggest it is an issue if you're going to pornographic websites. Secondly, another trigger is the environment. Maybe when you're alone in a hotel room or in your study with your computer, in your bedroom with your laptop, watching unhelpful TV programs. I know now, when I start to watch a TV program, it's going to be unhelpful to me. I nip it in the bud. As soon as it... uh, uh, No, I'm not going down that path. Maybe the gym. I do a spin class at, um, you know, spin, cycling. And um, it's unhelpful what some of these ladies wear at the gym, truly. But if that's a huge problem, then I may need to steer clear of the gym. Or maybe down the pub with your mates, at a conference with bread pudding. (laughs) What are the environments where you are vulnerable? Seriously. If you're serious about overcoming temptation, what are, the, what are the key emotions that you have encountered, that you know that you are vulnerable and weak, and what are the environments where you're more likely to encounter those emotions? Because if you identify those, then you are prepared in advance for facing temptations that come your way. Does this make sense? Further, recognize distorted thinking. Esau said, what is it to me, my birthright, when I am starving hungry? I'll just have a meal. Complete, really? Really? I'll just have a meal to sell your birthright? 
Complete madness. Madness can overtake you at any moment in time in the form of temptation. And we justify it. We magnify it. If I don't eat, I'm going to die right now. Really? Justification. I'm entitled to it. I haven't eaten for 12 hours. Can you hear these things going on in your head? We minimize it. It doesn't really matter. Or blame someone else. Blame your wife. Or whoever. Comparison. Will they do it? It's okay for them. Once had a man come to me some time ago who said to me, who said to me um, that he'd heard that most Christian leaders, men, struggled with pornography and, that, and he'd sort of come to terms with, it must be all right then. That's not right. It's a lie, actually. He had an issue with pornography. And because other people do, doesn't make it right for you or for me. Generalization, everyone else does it. But we are the people of God. And he's broken the power of sin over our lives. Secondly, understand and reflect on what is valuable to me. What are the costs to me if I follow through with this temptation? I got to the point in my life, I was sick to death. Utterly sick to death. Of not being an overcomer. Not being victorious over sin. The lie is, is that there's no consequence. There are always consequences to sin. Personal cost, family cost, church cost, can even impact the nation. And as I've said, high on the list of consequences is guilt and shame. I hated it. And, I, and you hate it too. Every one of us hates it. Shame says you're useless, unlovable, dirty, powerless. And then there's the fear of what people will think about me if they really knew what I was like. So a big motivating factor in your life is to keep the walls and the masks up so people don't really see the real you. The very thing, the opposite that needs to happen, that we need to be real with one another. Not, don't get me wrong, not with everyone, but choose two or three close friends, or even one you can just be real with and tell him what you're struggling with. It is the start of the journey of victory and overcoming. 
Secondly, what am I called to? I'm a son. And you're or a daughter, and you're either a son or a daughter of the living God. And I want to follow Jesus more than anyone else in my life. I'm loved by him. He died for me that I might live abundantly. I truly believe that. I've experienced good measures of it in my life. And I'm still on the journey. He's got a plan for my life. It was a big factor for me, a plan. I didn't want to lose God's plan for my life because I constantly came under sin. And who am I committed to? Committed to Jesus. Committed to my wife. My children. My wider family. I'm committed to Adam and Ian. Committed to you. I've got a. I've got a. Um, just a card I've written down, that I read out. Quite often over my life. Statements of truth, declarations of truth. I'm going to come to the end of this talk. And we're going to make some declarations of truth. At the end, we're going to pray. You might think this is just a good talk. I don't really care whether you think it's a good talk or not, to be honest. The issue is, if you're struggling with sin, are you going to do something about it? Am I going to do something about it? Let's stand. Can you read that? Is, is it a bit? I, I'm going to read it out, and you repeat it after me. I'm going to say son, but you say daughter if you're a woman. I am a son of God. I am a son of God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am approved by God. I am significant. I am powerful. His plans are to bless me and make me fruitful. I was born to change the world. I have received the Spirit who is from God. That I might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I have the mind of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Amen. Make your own list. Declare it over yourself every day. Make a plan with God today that you're going to deal with sin in your life. Overcome temptation. We are overcomers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have broken the power of sin and death over our lives. We've sung about it. We worship you about it. And we believe it, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh. Empower us, enable us 
We choose to work with you. We choose life. We choose Jesus. Jesus. We seek to be overcomers in our lives, in every day, Lord. We give you permission. We give you permission to look into our hearts and challenge us over any sins in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.